I'm Russ. And I'm Danny. And this is the Memory Makers Podcast. The show focused on helping you create amazing customer experiences and make more memories. Memory Makers Podcast. We're going for old 50s jingles today. I like it. Eventually, we're going to need to do a mashup of every single jingle that you do back to back to back to back to see the evolution of it. I'm worried that it's going to get very repetitive and we're going to see some some repeat hits come back through because I don't know how many. I'm going to have to start keeping track of the different genres so we don't have repeats. (laughs) It's okay if we have repeats. Pop music is all about repetition, right? Yeah, that's true. That's fair. (laughs) What's going on, good sir? Have you been? I've been great. I uh, I wanted to ask you because I heard you participated in a brand new activity over the weekend. I did. Yeah, I played pickleball for the first time and um, had a really good time doing it, much more than I, I expected to to do. You know, I, I used to play tennis as a kid and that just never really, you know, took off for me. But I will tell you the, the ping pongification of tennis that is pickleball is pretty awesome, especially with doubles. Now, full disclosure, I'm not winning any Olympic trials, you know, anytime soon as far as getting on the national team or anything like that, because uh, whoever was on my brother Kevin team would always win because that dude is a you know d1 athlete and just an all-around stud that was was putting on a clinic so um you know really fun to participate in didn't think that i would enjoy it nearly as much as i did but man it was a great time to just get together and mix it up and little friendly trash talk too you know did you expect to be able to be super super good the first time you played I mean, I always have high expectations for myself, Danny. You know this. I'm a high standards kind of guy. So, yes, you, you know, are. why why couldn't I just, you know, immediately roll in with, you know, not having swung a racket in, you know, years and years and years and not just be immediately dialed in? <laughs> Something about realistic expectations for a future episode that we can we can crack open. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that uh, this helped you kind of challenge your own assumptions about what you would enjoy because you didn't think you may enjoy that activity you loved it and i think that's a perfect segue into today's topic Mm -hmm. just kind of challenging our own expectations about attractions because we're going to talk about the surprising truths about your attraction mix and so i want to just jump right in and i'm going to hit on the first one and i'm talking to you the operator you are not always your customer what (laughs) what you know, it's easy to, to fall into the trap of uh, buying what you like and, and um, liking what you buy, right? And it was interesting. It's important to remember that you're attracting a variety of different age groups and different demographics and people who have different kinds of interests than you as the owner. Um, and there, you know, it was interesting because this came from a discussion that we recently had with uh, Jeff Gebart from Five Star Parks. We were having dinner with him and a few of his colleagues. And he was telling us and, and, and talking about the fact that he's like, yeah, I understand that I'm not a customer because if I were to do all the attractions that interest me the most, it would just be a bunch of pinball and Pac-Man. And that's definitely <laughs> not what his facilities are. He's got a lot more attractions than that. He's even got some like large outdoor rides and all different kinds of things because he recognizes the importance of knowing your audience, knowing your demographics, understanding who you're targeting, and being able to find an attraction mix that speaks to that audience and mm-hmm. it will help engage with that audience instead of 
um, writing off an entire category of attractions like virtual reality or go-karts or bumper cars. I'm just throwing anything out there. It doesn't matter what it is. Just because you may not personally enjoy it as much or it's not something that piques your personal interest, you've got to take yourself back and have a healthy dose of the devil's advocate of like, okay, well, I may not be keen on this particular attraction, but what do my guests want? Who are my guests and how can I engage with them in more meaningful ways? Well, it's such a collaboration too to then develop what that spidey sense is and to get out of your own initial biases too. And and that was something that I was really I took away from our, our conversation with Jeff as well was, you know, we have a team look at this and we we look at, you know, what audiences would really gravitate towards this. Like it may not be my demographic, it may not be my age group, it may not be my gender, it may not be whatever. Uh, but yeah, being able to then put yourself in the shoes of what those folks are wanting or Again, reaching out to your you know, your audience and saying, you know, sampling what you know, what do you guys enjoy most? What would you like to see from us? And and you always you're going to need to to bring in some outside pieces uh, and and if information, but ultimately, and and what Jeff had alluded to was that you'll develop a better spidey sense by being able to remove yourself a little bit more from that and be able to ask better questions and really understand why is something having success if it's not something that I in- intrinsically get. I'm talking to the people that are using it and are having success with it and understanding what is driving that and truly driving it so that way I can extrapolate that and and apply it to others so I I agree I think that you know the other the second key thing that I we want to talk about when it comes to these surprising truths is that not every attraction is going to be a home run you know it's really easy for us to you know have this mindset of you know this is going to be a you know this is going to be my next number one you know, earner in the facility. And at times, just like there's not going to be, you know, five LeBrons on the court, you know, not every player is going to be your superstar. You need that balance of supporting players and those workhorse attractions um, because they're serving different needs. And so it's, it's a, that diversification um, and having things, you know, there are some things that are going to do better seasonally. There are some things that are going to do better just based on um, current pop culture trends and and other elements, you know, pickleball will, um, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, it's something that has a lot of, you know, engagement and social and competitive drive and, and things like that. But you even look at some of these, these pickleball concepts that are coming out that, that are an entertainment based pickleball, you know, kind of element pickleball actually isn't the biggest driver of their um, revenue. You know, it's a pickleball facility with a restaurant, but the vast majority of that that revenue is actually coming from their food and beverage. And so just being cognizant of what business are we really in? Are we in a, a restaurant that provides something for people to do to spend more time and eat more food and beverage while they're doing that? And, and that's great. We It just helps us understand how we need to, to show up and have better expectations of which parts of the business are going to contribute at different levels um, you know, based on it, on how that all can can work together. And so the other thing that's important to remember of why you don't need everything to be a home run is that, it, and not everything is going to be a home run, is that these, your your star attractions are going to have the biggest um, demand and the, and the least amount of supply to it. And so when that may have a longer line or a bigger, you know, wait for it, then you've got other things for them to do while they wait. And so having some of those profit centers and those um, earning uh, opportunities that aren't designed to be the biggest ones, but they're designed to capture that incremental um, revenue 
per cap spend that you can get that you otherwise wouldn't. And so that that is a, a really important factor of what role are these different attractions playing? And I can't have the same standards and metrics. Um, you know, they're not all going to perform equally and we just need to be aware of that as we, you know, look at something and, and, um, and you also need to look at, you know, Hey, this may do better, but some it may cannibalize a little bit from something else initially while it's in that honeymoon phase. And then as the water level, um, you know, kind of settles in the, the last thing that we've seen why an attraction may not just start off, you know, uh, printing money is you may be using that attraction to target a new audience that has to build. And so it's something that comes on over time as you continue to intentionally target that group and, and drive that marketing and that engagement through those new offerings too. And you mentioned different attractions and how those perform. If you zoom in on this particular one, it even works on the micro level, right? Let's mm-hmm. let's think about arcades for a moment. Let's say Big Bass Wheel is your number one arcade earner. Well, you're not going to have an entire arcade filled with Big Bass Wheels because it's not about that attraction. It's the whole about that game. It's the mix and how mm-hmm. they all work together. It's the holistic view of it, not just an individual. Because if you just put in 40 Big Bass Wheels, you're not going to make any money. Right. It's about the whole mix. And I think that's a very helpful metaphor that most people will hear that and go, oh, that makes a ton of sense. Get it. I grasp it. It's a recipe. You're not putting equal parts, you know, salt and sugar. You know, we need a little bit of sweet, a little bit of savory. And depending on what we want that overall flavor to be, we'll adjust accordingly. Well, you had mentioned uh, kind of the the, the biggest attractions and tend to have like the longer wait lines, Mm -hmm. uh, wait times. And that's kind of one thing I wanted to hit on next. Another surprising truth is that downsizing can help you make even more money right Mm -hmm. square footage is always a factor when it comes to any location based entertainment venue and those that have a traditional anchor attraction bowling would be a really great example of this sometimes we'll look at that as the sacred cow like bowling is so important has been here for so long we can never touch it and well that's true that if you're a traditional bowling business and you want to maybe diversify and look at some other stuff bowling will almost always continue to be your most important attraction but it's not your only one and so this is something that we've seen across um, different verticals within our industry of, of bowling centers and trampoline verticals this is even starting to happen a little bit in the, the rating of uh, the the roller skating rinks excuse me mm-hmm. where if you can reduce the the, uh, the, the size or capacity of one of those anchor attractions, it can increase that wait time. And while you increase the wait time, you now have these other profit centers in your facility where you are able to uh, get those customers to spend money while they're waiting. And a really great example of this is the whole idea of supply and demand here. Great example is Chris and Bobby Hogue from 814 Lanes and Games in Pennsylvania. They purchased this traditional bowling center that they took out several lanes. I don't remember exactly how many, eight or 10 lanes that they removed. Mm-hmm. And in that place, they added laser tag. They added escape rooms, VR, bigger arcade, a number of different things. And what they found was by um, removing some of those lanes for the biggest driver of traffic, which is bowling, it increased the wait times. And while guests were waiting on bowling, they were spending money on the laser tag or the escape rooms or the arcade or the food and beverage, all these other profit centers and the overall revenue and profitability, the profitability of the whole center went 
way up. And so that's an interesting way to look at the attraction mix and not just what's going to perform at the top and how they work together, but how you can potentially decrease the size of some in order to increase the overall profitability and revenue of the facility in general. Mm -hmm. All right, brace yourself for this next one because we're going to be talking about how increasing labor can actually increase your revenue. Right. And so, yeah. So labor is always that stickiest point, right? Whether it was pre COVID and it's, oh my gosh, how do we deal with the minimum wage increases? And then you have some folks that are like, we, we pay above minimum wage. We're not worried about that because here's how we, we start to look at this and offset it. Then it was COVID and it's like, oh my gosh, we don't have anybody that can work. And so we, you know, we're, 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 you know, and we can't afford to keep these people. And so then we started leveraging better technology um, to be able to fill in the gaps and prioritize where we do have staff because that's where they're going to have a bigger impact on creating um, a guest experience. And that is really the secret sauce here that I want to hone in on is the difference between good performance and great performance of an attraction will ultimately come down to elevating it from a an attraction into an experience and, and getting that great level of performance. And one of the biggest drivers, yes, you need to have a high quality product, but the experience is also so critical that, you know, driven by a staff member that is engaged and, and, you know, creating those white glove touch points, um, and conversations and, and, you know, again, interacting with your guests in a way that would be, you know, reminiscent of a Disney or a universal where you can go and, and just feel attended to, um, because then that makes you feel like the value is there. Gosh, we, you know, we, we have magically less friction points, the more that we're getting engaged with by staff. And so we can look at, okay, how do we use things like, digital marketing or, um, you know, redemption kiosks that can help with upselling or redemption stores or, or, um, you know, different things that don't necessarily require so much of an experience driven approach. Um, but that those things can consistently do their job. They're always doing the upsell. They're giving you those opportunities to capture more dollars. And now I can actually shift my labor over, um, if I'm in a, in a pinch of just labor, labor availability, but now I can have a better, you know, experience at my arcade by having someone that's able to more dedicated walk through ask people how they're enjoying new attractions, get good feedback on how that's actually living in the wild beyond just the, um, you know, the play reports and things like that. Or, you know, Andretti's, you know, is one that they pay people to open the doors for their guests because that's the level of the experience that they want to set it off with. And those same people will open the doors as people are leaving. And so the first and the last thing that they're, they're having at any Andretti's that you're going to is a smile and convenience and, and removal of friction from the word go. And if you don't think that that can translate to a price increase and justifying why you, you, you can pay for that labor itself because the value of what you're bringing for an overall experience, uh, even outside of the individual attractions is higher. And so we need to be thinking of how we can laterally shift labor to be better utilized and increasing that labor um, in the number of hours, but know that proportionally it can stay in balance because it can also ultimately drive more revenue. 
One thing I'd like to add about Andretti's, and you mentioned when guests walk in the door and when they leave, there's an employee that opens it for them. That's something that came from COVID. When they Mm -hmm. reopened, they didn't want their guests to have to touch as many things. And Mm -hmm. so they put employees out there to just take care of it for them. And then they realized what that did with the interaction with the guests, and they kept it around even getting you know beyond COVID where we are now. And I think that's an interesting thing of taking lessons that were learned in a certain period and continuing to apply them because they do really well for the overall experience and the brand of Andretti's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to recap what we've, you know, again, these high level experience or, or truths, surprising truths is you're not always your customer. So play devil's advocate, bring folks in, really ask questions from uh, from both sides of that experience and, and understand, hey, if it's not relevant to me, is there a reason for that? Am I the right you know audience that this would be focused on? And that may or may not be an appropriate thing. Uh, not every attraction is going to be your, your number one earner, just it can't be. Uh, but looking at having that diverse portfolio of attractions will really go a long way in cr- providing more incentive to come back because there's more to do. Um, and then you also look at downsizing or being more economical with certain square footage. So that way we can keep a more diverse portfolio, um, shrinking some of the things that may have been our predominant, you know, anchor attraction for so long, but now we can speak to new markets that we haven't been relevant to. We can have new cutting edge things that are exciting and engaging that get people to want to come in there in the first place. That's more marketable than something that we've been known for, for a really long time. And so it gives us an opportunity to be more relevant. And then finally, again, not looking at staff as this, you know, pure kind of red line aspect, but hey, this is a strategic tool that we need to be using. And then we can supplement and automate through some basic technology elsewhere. So that way my team are free to create an experience, which is how we're going to go from good revenue to great revenue um, through that, that high fidelity touch point. That seems to me like a really great place to to wrap it up and end it. I would say it's another good episode in the book, sir. I would always agree with you with that. It's nothing but bangers over here, so we're all about it. So with that, we will have more of these episodes coming your way uh, every week. And so be sure to come back again to hear more uh, of the valuable insights that we're bringing, as well as guests that we'll be bringing on to, again, keep peeking behind the curtain of success and understanding how we can replicate those things and duplicate it moving forward. If you like what you heard, don't forget to uh, subscribe and leave us a review if you would. And always appreciate the five stars. Always appreciate it. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics, or guests, uh, hit us up on social media. Send us a direct message. We'd love to hear from you. And big shout out to Mikey Mike on the ones and twos and working the ultranet for us. And uh, thank you again very much for joining us. And we'll catch you on the next one, troublemakers.